Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much that we are able to gather today on this Palm Sunday and to take a look at what it means of your entry into Jerusalem. Father, we thank you for what you are doing, and we thank you for what you continue to do here at the open door. As we open your word, we ask, Lord, that it would hit his mark today. As we continue in worship here, Father, as we open your word, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to soften hearts and that we would take a really good look at ourselves and what you have done for us. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated, or you can stand the whole time if you like. (laughs) Welcome to Palm Sunday, the celebration of Jesus making his way into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry. It's the beginning of Holy Week, the most important week of the year for Christians. And like we saw the parade come through our worship space, I believe that on that day in Jerusalem, the air was electrifying. It's what happens when you get a crowd together. Crowds make things happen, and when you get them together celebrating the same thing, get ready because that is the perfect storm for something to happen. So today we will be in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want you to picture the Gospels with me, if you will. Like four guys just sitting around a campfire, having a cup of coffee, reliving the day before, and all the events that happened. All four Gospels include the the account of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And one guy or the gospel may recount details that the other did not catch. And that's what's so special about the gospels. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were at the same event but saw or they picked up on different parts of the event. See things from their perspective, but each detail lined up with what God instructed them to write. So I just want to quickly highlight and give you an overview of some of these verses which each gospel picked up on Palm Sunday. And um, I'll give you the reference, and then you can go digging for yourself. So the first one, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Mark describes Jesus' request for a cult. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, gives a quick rundown of the entry of Jesus and the crowd that was forming and waiting for Jesus. Luke 19, 28 through 44, gives us an important details of what Jesus was thinking and how he was feeling as he made his way into Jerusalem. And then you got Matthew 21, 1 through 11, and that tells us what the crowd thought of Jesus and who they thought he was. So there is something in the air on that Palm Sunday. And today is a day that we remember Jesus entering Jerusalem as Savior and King. And it's easy for us to believe and to see him as Savior and King. But there were people 
in the crowd who didn't view him as that. There may be people here today that don't view him as that. See, Jesus understood the depth and the magnitude of his entry, and he knew what was on the horizon. What a contrast in this time in history from Jesus' emotions and conservative means of transportation to the way the crowd was happy and ready for a party. They were waiting expectantly. What is he going to do next? See, the crowd was in it to win it. What about you? What would it be like to be there, to be in that crowd? So come along with me and step back into the scene on that first Palm Sunday. Rumblings are going around in your neighborhood of this Messiah coming to town. The swell of the news has been gaining ground, and you don't know how to take it. Is it true? Has the Messiah actually come? Or is he an imposter? You've prayed for him to come. Have your prayers been answered? Finally? You've heard of these miracles that he's performed, but you've also seen charlatans come and claim some of the same things and people get taken advantage of. Not here. Quickly, your guard goes up. But when your friend, your friend since you were a little kid, comes and says he witnessed one of these miracles himself, a man being raised from the dead, well, that holds weight. You need to see him for yourself. If it's true, centuries of prophecy are coming to pass right in front of your eyes. The king who will deliver your people from the stronghold of Rome is here. The time has come. And this Messiah comes riding into your town, into Jerusalem, on a donkey. If this is the Messiah, why is he on a donkey? donkey isn't he here to set us free from the roman rule and to establish his kingdom then why a donkey donkeys signify peace a homely looking animal and then you recall zechariah 9 9 and it says your king comes humble and riding on a donkey on a colt a foal of a donkey. And he's here. And you see him. You make eye contact with him. And his stare bore into the very being. And in that instant, you know that he knows you. No one has ever made you hate your sin and want your heart, mind, and soul cleansed like this man does. You think to yourself, if this is the Messiah, what in the world do I have to offer? Days, you look down and realize nothing. I have nothing to offer. You quickly run to a neighboring tree, one that you have watched grow since your youth and realize in that moment that that palm branch that you are breaking off from the tree is symbolic. These branches are a sign of victory and triumph, but in your heart of hearts, you know the deeper meaning. 
After all, King Solomon had palm branches carved into the walls and the doors of the temple in 1 Kings. You know by waving this palm branch, you are proclaiming that Jesus is worthy of being the high priest for all who believe. You know that a palm tree takes 30 years to bear fruit, and a man could not become a high priest until he was 30 years old. The ministry Jesus began was when he was 30. You break some extra ones off for your family members because everyone should have something to honor the Messiah. This is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see the crowd and you disappear into it. And this crowd swells with ovulation and waving the palm branches and you can't help but join in with the cheering. And you realize in that moment, your cloak. You take your cloak, and you spread it out on the road before him, and this act is also symbolic. By laying your cloak down, it is an act of honor and an acknowledgement, a declaration that Jesus is King of Kings, the promised Messiah. Your cloak or or your prayer shawl is a seamless garment and people all around you are laying theirs down, acknowledging Jesus as God's promised Messiah. They are declaring and they are laying down their authority and saying that Jesus is the one to be worthy to be called King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And suddenly, a song rises from the crowd. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you can't contain your emotions. The joy overtakes you as the crowd joins the Messiah all the way into town. Those who know him proclaim him as king. That miracle that your friend witnessed was the raising of Lazarus. The crowd that preceded Jesus was there for that miracle. So so this crowd and the crowd that has gathered in Jerusalem for Passover collide. You have the, I've seen it with my own eyes crowd and the, we are here for the party crowd. Both welcoming Jesus with an enthusiasm too big and loud to contain. That this Palm Sunday, a real-life event, history. You see, crowds play an important part on Palm Sunday. Crowds followed Jesus. They drew attention. Crowds brought in business. Crowds can be friendly. They can be rowdy. Crowds can be destructive. And crowds can change opinions. You're part of a crowd right now. Thank you for being here, by the way. (laughs) If you look at crowds that show up for sporting events or concerts, parades, and even church, we can see that there are different motives for being here or there, right? The crowd that followed Jesus was no different. You see, Jesus, in the three years of his ministry, was used to having a crowd of people around him. And these crowds witnessed his, his teachings, his miracles, and these healings from the Sermon on the Mount to the feeding of the 5,000 
to Zacchaeus climbing a sycamore tree because he was too short and he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd, all the way to Lazarus being raised from the dead. The crowd that surrounded Jesus on Palm Sunday was no different. This crowd was massive. And within this crowd, there were different opinions and different reasons for people being there. Within this crowd of people at Palm Sunday, we will see that there were five different types of groups within this crowd. And we will also see that not much has changed since then. So if you are in a crowd, you fall into one of these groups. And you may see that you fit into multiple groups. There is, on the other hand, one group that stands out from the rest and does not compromise. We'll go through each group one by one, and they are the interested, the distracted, imposters, challengers, and the devoted. The first group, the interested group. They've been following Jesus around since the beginning. They were in the crowd when, they gave, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. They were fed with the 5,000, and they even saw Lazarus being raised from the dead. This group showed up only if nothing else interesting was happening in town and always hoping to get something out of the experience. They followed Jesus on Palm Sunday because they wanted to see what he would do next. They had a me mentality and waited to see if they would get a blessing just by being there. This group kind of reminds me of that interested button on Facebook. You know, the the button on Facebook, the, the one that people push if they're interested in an event but just need a little bit more information. They're not willing to fully commit by saying they're interested. and They just want to see interest and and see who's thinking about going. They push this button just in case they don't have anything else going on or if nothing else more exciting is happening, then they'll go to the interested event. It's a a penciled in event on your calendar rather than a hard yes or a hard no. That's what the interested group did. They penciled in Jesus if he was in a, in a neighboring town or they had nothing else better to do. And if they needed some entertainment or they, they would go along with the crowd in hopes of getting a blessing just by being there. This group was highly curious and knew a lot of details of what Jesus did, where he was going, but they never truly committed to being a follower of his They just needed more time and more information to decide. Now, there's nothing wrong with being interested. When you're interested, you attend an event to be better informed so that you can decide on how you feel about whatever that event is being put on. But there comes a time when you must decide. There comes a time when you will be asked for a reason for the hope that is in you. If you stay in this group and hold fast to that interested button, where is your hope? And if you're just in the crowd to be in the crowd, you're putting yourself in a dangerous position of a been there, done that mentality. The second group, the distracted group. 
Let's look at Matthew 21, verses 10 through 11. This is what it says. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The crowd was only able to muster up this response. He's a prophet. His name is Jesus. And he's from Nazareth from Galilee. The distracted group was still reeling themselves. They couldn't believe what their eyes were telling them that they saw. They too were in the crowd when Jesus performed miracles, but still had questions. And in verse 9, this is what the crowd said. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You see, much like today, If you are distracted or confused as to who God is, you may refer to him as the higher power or the man upstairs. This group tends to be fed with Bible cliches or memes than the word of God. This group finds themselves arguing scripture without knowing the full meaning or taking scripture out of context. This group was still under the assumption that Jesus was just a prophet. They didn't see Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah. Matthew 21, 9, it says that they went before, or if you look in the Greek, it says in front or in advance of Jesus. How do you know which way he is leading if you are ahead of where he's going. Any time that you are ahead of Jesus, you will fall into the distracted group. You will lose sight of him and the direction that he is going. You see, to know where God is leading you, you have to be willing to lay your roadmap down for his. Because his map is marked with eternity in mind. Number three, the imposters. And on Palm Sunday, this group was there pretending to be committed to Jesus. They were not sold out. They were on the fence. This is one of the most dangerous groups to be in. Much like the interested group, this group went through the motions. They knew all the lingo, were up on all the happenings and events. They could even give you the play-by-play of all the miracles that they witnessed, but there was one thing missing. They were not committed to following Jesus. They looked for approval from the crowd to be accepted so that they could impress others with all that they knew. Inside knowledge is what they crave. And they they enjoyed the attention they drew with the information that they knew. Their hearts were not changed. It reminds me of what Revelations 3.15-16 through says. And Jesus was speaking to the church of Laodicea. And it says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you right out of my mouth. You see, church, God created us to be authentic and with a purpose, not to be a counterfeit or a sad reproduction of another person. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. Every Christian, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Just think about that for a second. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You either believe in the commission of Jesus or you don't. I recently saw a reel on Instagram of a guy who was, uh, he was doing a podcast of some sort, and he was talking about the lukewarm or the fence riders, if you will. And he described it as this. You have heaven, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit on one side, and you have hell, Satan, and his demons on the other side. And right down the middle, you have this fence. And there on that fence, you have those who've not chosen which way they are going. And one day, it all disappears except for that fence and the people that are on it. And the people that are on it are looking around wondering, where did heaven and hell go? And then they notice Satan coming back. And he's like, ah. I forgot something. You guys come with me. And the people that are on the fence are protesting. But wait, we didn't choose either way. And Satan says, yes, you did. The fence belongs to me. Church, no decision is a decision. The fourth group, the challenger group, And this group was filled with all the religious leaders like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And since Jesus came on the scene and started his ministry, they tried to shut Jesus down. They rebuked him for things like healing on the Sabbath, for helping livestock out of a ravine, and even for not stoning a woman caught in adultery. They did everything they could to discredit his ministry, even trying to get the crowd to look down on him for eating with sinners. These religious leaders were in the crowd on Palm Sunday. And just like today, we have those who challenge and oppose the work of God. We have those modern-day religious leaders who look for any little thing to debate about and to try to, to trip up the big church, big C church. And the sad part is that these modern-day religious leaders never see the good in any situation and promote their own interests and their agendas. This is how I picture the challengers, okay? For those of you that like sports, I picture them as bad commentators who have all the wrong statistics for a completely different sport. 
And even the names of the players are all wrong. That's how I see the challengers. And the last group, the devoted group. And this is a group that most people would say that they're a part of. But sadly, it's the smallest group. Those who are devoted proclaim Jesus as Lord and do exactly as he asks them. They are devoted, meaning 100% in, and leave no room for questioning, for murmuring, or complaining. So what does that look like? If you look at Matthew 21, 6-7, this is what it says. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. This group understands that laying their authority down for Jesus is a sacrifice, but it pales in comparison to what Jesus is about to do on Friday for them. So one big crowd full of different groups all gathered because of one man causing turmoil within every single person on that day. Now fast forward 2,000 years to this Palm Sunday. Do you see yourself in any of those groups? Do you find similarities in multiple groups? And how do you feel about the group that you most identify with? Are you satisfied there? Those that are in the interested group, you have hope. You don't have to just be interested. You can push the yes button and be all in for him. The distracted group, there's hope for you. What is distracting you from having a dedicated or a devoted faith in God? Do you know that you are following a Savior? Do you tend to run out in front of God and have to look back often to see if he's even there? See, Proverbs 2, 6 says, The Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Distracted group, let his word guide you and put him first. The imposters, quit putting on a face. God created one, you. And he made you on purpose. Don't get caught on the fence. Pick a side and let your yes be yes and your no be no. And know that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more or make him love you less. To the challengers, take a step back and ask yourself, am I bringing God glory or am I glorifying myself? Is this what God has called me to do? Stop opposing Love abundantly. Forgive those around you and be a peacemaker. 
Do you desire to be in this devoted group? How can we be a part of it? How can we go the extra mile for those around us? How can we show steadfast love to our neighbors? Which group are you a part of? On Friday, there was a crowd made up of Pharisees, chief priests, elders of the people, and the residents of Jerusalem. Their shouts of crucify him rang louder than Hosanna. What a completely different feel in the air from the parade and the celebration to that dark day. So before we make it to the Super Bowl of Sundays in the church, we must walk this week out. See, Jesus, as he made his way into Jerusalem, understood the magnitude of his entry. On Friday, as he made his way out of the city for the last time, he would be busted up, broken down, and carrying a cross to Calvary for your sin and for mine. As you spend time thinking about his sacrifice, ask yourself, who am I in the crowd? Am I singing Hosanna? Or am I shouting crucify him? Is the way that I am living bringing God glory? And the beautiful thing is that Jesus makes up the difference and he meets us right where we are so no matter who you identify with in the crowd know this that god loves you and he's ready to meet you right where you are it's time to get ready church because sunday is coming let's pray Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time and being able to gather today and to dig into your word. And as we put ourselves in that day of Palm Sunday and being in the crowd, Father, I pray that we are asking, who are we in the crowd And if we're not satisfied with who we are in the crowd, Father, I pray that we are crying out to you to meet us right where we're at. That we need a change. We thank you, Father, that Jesus made his way into Jerusalem that day. And he understood the magnitude of what was about to come. We thank you for your sacrifice. And Father, I pray that as people are sitting here and they're wondering where they stand with you, Father, I pray before they leave that they have a definite answer. 
I pray, Father, that you would show us a difference between condemnation and conviction. See, condemnation has no hope, but conviction has hope. You are written all over it. Father, we thank you so much. And it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.